Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Battlefield Next. My name is Major Jason Coffey. Before we get started with this episode, let's do some housekeeping. The views expressed on the podcast are the views of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School, the U.S. Army, the Department of Defense, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Today's episode is an interview of Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Farquhar. Lieutenant Colonel Farquhar is an officer in the British Army Legal Service and currently serves as the Director of Multinational Operations at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center. On today's episode, Lieutenant Colonel Farquhar and Major Coffey discuss the British Army Legal Service, his background, and his role at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center. We join the episode, Already in Progress. Good morning, sir, and welcome to Battlefield Next. Can you tell us about the British Army Legal Service? Yeah, sure. So the ALS is a specialist all-officer branch of the Adjutant General's Corps, and it's comprised of approximately 100 professionally qualified solicitors, barristers, and Scottish advocates. The role of the ALS is to provide legal support to the Army, very similar to the JAG Corps. Uh, Its mission is to provide first-class legal advice in support of the British Army in barracks and on operations, and the vision is to generate officers who are always ready to deliver accurate and timely advice, independently or as part of a team, without fear or favour in a hostile operational environment. Very much in the same way that the JAG Corps has to be ready for the challenges of the 21st century operating environment and are better able to interface in a joint and combined operating environment, it's the same with the ALS. We're trying to operate alongside key allies and partners. Finally, there has to be a focus on promoting a culture where all ALS officers feel valued, motivated and supported in order to recruit and retain the best army lawyers possible. And sir, what is the ALS responsible for? So it won't won't surprise you to hear that we're very similar to the JAG Corps in the way that we're set out and laid down and that the areas of support that we provide as part of the Army Legal Services. But we prosecute a court-martial, we give legal advice on international civil and military law and advise on operational law the law of armed conflict, rules of engagement, and all aspects of service discipline. It's a wide-ranging portfolio, and you have to be pretty well specialised in all areas, which is why at a young age, at captain level, we try and get all of those officers circulated around the various posts so that they build up a level of expertise in each area. Sir, what is the career path for officers in the ALS? So before you join the Army Legal Services, you have to have either... I've got a law degree, which is going to a recognized law school at a university. You then go to law school for a year and you then do a training contract for two years with a recognized law firm at the point at which you undertake a whole load of training and then get qualified at the end of that two year period. The alternative route for non-lawyers is to do an undergraduate degree in a subject other than law. You then do a year which tries to get after all of the main basic law modules that that you do at university, you then do that additional year at at law school, followed up with the two years as a training contract. So essentially, it's the same, except non-lawyers do an additional year at uh, law school to hopefully close some of the gaps that the lawyers would have um, studied when they were at university. Once you have done your law degree and you've done your legal training and you're qualified, you're then eligible to join the Army Legal Services. So you have to be a lawyer already before you join. And an ALS career encompasses three broad elements. The first is prosecutions. 
The second is general advisory work, and the third is operational law. But officers will work in all areas during their army career, from advising the chain of command on the finer points of, say, international law in the middle of a war zone, to deciding whether to prosecute a soldier at court-martial. In recognition of their professional qualifications, after two weeks of initial training, officers attend a nine-week commissioning course at the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst. This is different to uh, non-PQOs, they call them professionally qualified officers, who will attend a full year at Sandhurst. So ours is a nine-week commissioning course. And we're then sent out on attachment to combat units where we operate as non-lawyers for three months to give first-hand experience of army life. And really that aims to get some context and understanding of how army units operate so we understand the culture and the language so we're better able to advise the chain of command. And what does your career path look like? So for my part, my formative professional legal career was undertaken at an international law, law firm in the city of London and Canary Wharf at a firm called Allen and Overy. And I qualified as a solicitor and commissioned into the ALS in 2007. And like I said before, every ALS Army officer's career is very different. Uh, my military career has been balanced across service prosecutions, advisory, and operational law. Um, essentially, we're a very small branch, and therefore there is a lot of variation in what we do and wh- whether we're in the right place at the right time. But I've been extremely lucky in my career so far. I've managed to complete the Arctic Warfare course in Norway. I've done the Jungle Warfare course in Belize during my attachment, and then I was able to do the All Arms Commando course as a qualified Army Commando. I also completed uh, several operational tours, including two tours of Afghanistan at Task Force Helmand. That was on Operation Herrick uh, 10 and 11 in Helmand. Uh, But the first one was at Lashkagar, and the second was at Camp Bastion. And I was lucky enough to become a solicitor advocate, having achieved my higher rights of audience uh, in 2015, and then secured a master's in defence and strategic studies from King's College London in 2018. My last role was as legal advisor to the Land Operations Command in the, in the field army, that's at the three-star level. And so I feel relatively well-placed to contribute as an operational legal advisor in my current role, uh, obviously as the, the director of multinational operations in Clamo and also uh, hopefully within other, other roles as I move on through my career. What is the main focus of your role as Director of Multinational Operations in the Center for Law and Military Operations? At the moment, the focus is very much on interoperability and in setting up a framework around which interoperability between the U.S. Army, the JAG Corps, and our key allies and partners can operate. And so I've been working on an interoperability um, framework and vision and the vision essentially is that we have um, indisputable allies modernized and ready to fight deploy and win against the full spectrum of threats around the world the structure that we're working on at the moment sees uh, ends ways and means and essentially the ends is to make sure that we have the right lawyers with the right skills and experience in the right formations to come up to advise the chain of command uh, in order to for them to achieve lawful mission accomplishment And the ways that we are trying to get after doing that is firstly through doctrine and information management. The key between the JAG Corps and allies and partners is making sure that you remove the the focus and the requirement for personalities and for um, strong relationships. And of course, you want that, but you want stuff that outlasts that. So if you can feed interoperability into how we operate, the reason why we operate the way that we do, 
that really helps to sow the seams uh, between per people and, and personalities. So we're trying to focus on doctrine firstly, developing our in, uh, interoperability doctrine, and we're also looking at trying to develop our information management because doctrine and information is great, but unless we store that in an accessible place so that everybody can get after that, can get into it, can read it, can um, assimilate it, it's very difficult to spread the word more widely than just those people who are in interoperability focused billets. And so the, the first ways that we're getting after interoperability is the doctrines and information management. Secondly, we're looking at trying to develop our education courses so that we get the right people attending the right courses throughout somebody's military career. So you might be, say, going to a basic law of armed conflict course as a captain and then going on an, an advanced course as a major and then maybe even a more refined advanced law of armed conflict course as a lieutenant colonel. And throughout your career, you'll hopefully be meeting up with allies and partners at those key events, which helps you to firstly understand the way that your country applies the law of armed conflict but also more importantly bearing in mind that the US Army is very unlikely to fight in the next war on its own it's to understand and get a shared understanding for allies and partners and so how do your key allies and partners operate how do they interpret international law where are their caveats where are their red lines um, how can you work around at the tactical level to make sure that those differences don't become problematic at the operational level uh, thirdly, we're looking at training both individual and collective. How can we make sure that at the training events that we have, we get the, the, the best people uh, attend those training events, that we synchronize those training events throughout the year so that everybody gets a chance at attending these, these um, interoperability events, these training exercises with allies and partners. So that helps you hopefully to understand the doctrine get educated on, on courses that, that in terms of the knowledge that you need to know and, and how to think, and then to attend the training courses alongside people from other nations, your key allies and partners, and work alongside them. And there's really no substitute for operating within the same headquarters uh, to work on current problems in a training environment where you can develop the way that you carry out your TTPs so that they're more open to other people providing their their value and their advice uh, and working out tactical problems and, uh, and working out working through the problems getting to a good solution fourthly we've got exchanges exchanges are a really brilliant way not only in terms of the experience that you get from going to a different country and living and breathing the culture and eating the food and talking to the people and doing the kind of things that they do and seeing the, the historical monuments and, and things that they revere and, and find critical as part of their culture there's no real substitute for that and so we're trying to widen out the exchange program so that maybe we can get more people to have more of that kind of exposure uh, understanding the culture and, and working within a foreign organization so that you really get under the skin of it and you understand how they think and why they think which helps, helps to get after shared understanding and so if we can maybe reduce the length of time that exchanges take place for, for some of these exchanges, you can hopefully widen the, um, the opportunities out to more people so that more people get that shared experience. And finally and critically, which is really, really important and is, is actually one of the, prior the key priorities, is key leader engagement. 
we're part of a hierarchical organization. And so if our seniors are really interested in interoperability, guess what? So are we. So if our leaders are talking about it and our leaders are focused on it and asking the organization how we're getting after some of these interoperability objectives, the chain of command will be interested in it and we'll be able to focus time and resource to really get after interoperability. And at the moment, we've got a real opportunity because TJAG uh, is super, super leaned into interoperability. He's been talking about it lots. He's a huge fan of it and a proponent of it. Um, for, for the UK perspective, so is the Director of Army Legal Services, Major General Alex Taylor. He's super keen about it. He's got a great relationship with TJAG. And so we're hoping to build on that, um, not only just with the UK, because, of course, the, the US ha it, it has loads of really critical key leaders, un unified action partners in the doctrine sort of uh, parlance. Um, so we're looking to engage with those key leaders in those foreign organizations of KIs and partners to get them alongside so and to get their senior leadership talking about it because if they're interested in it, so will their organizations be. And so taken in terms of lines of effort, all those five areas of, of doctrine and information management, education, training, exchanges, and KLE hopes to orchestrate a lot of the activity to try and reach that end state of making sure we have the right lawyers with the right experience and the right knowledge advising the right formations and the ideal would be that you'd have a, a foreign legal professional advising a JAG uh, a US Army formation and you wouldn't notice that there was any difference in the legal advice because they understand the American culture they understand the way that the at the strategic level, the U.S. interprets international law, they would understand how the U.S. Army operates, what their capabilities are, and and so hopefully you you would the, the the perfect ideal would be to have a foreign officer advising a formation commander, and you wouldn't know the difference in terms of the advice that they're getting, tactically relevant, operationally contextualized in terms of the freedoms and constraints that you operate within, and they speak the right language and they can be really well understood. So that's what the focus is of my role is at the moment. It's trying to turn that into a reality. How does planning work in an interoperable environment? So the key is to understand the key similarities and differences between the different planning processes. So you have MDMP, we have the combat estimate. Broadly speaking, all they really try to do is to get a, a commander to be informed of the situation, the threats and the risks, to utilize their capabilities in the best possible way to achieve the operational objectives. And, and so when you look at MDMP and you look at the combat estimate, broadly speaking, they're very, very similar. Slightly different culturally, so the, the U, UK system provides much more um, freedom of movement, I think, to commanders to come up with their own ideas about how they get after the overarching strategy, whereas I think MDMP is a little bit more focused on orders extraction. Um, that's just my impression. That's, that's not the sort of doctrinal response, but that's just my impression of the two uh, having done both. I think those are th that's the key difference, but broadly speaking, they are very, very similar. In terms of interoperability more broadly, when we're talking about the strategy that, that we're putting together in, in Clamo to try and get after some of these interoperability objectives, it's about making sure that the staffing framework uh, is, is operating effectively. So we've already had a working group, which is a council of colonels, to discuss what kinds of, of 
things we should be focused on in getting after interoperability. And we had a GOSC, a one-star steering committee, a couple of weeks ago with General Berger and Brigadier Ebel from the UK, who's the head of operational law. And they've endorsed broadly the framework which we're proposed to them. So we'll be rolling that out more widely next year with a 24-month training program, which includes a lot of the tasks that sit underneath each of the issues that I've outlined already. So the doctrine, the information management, education training, exchanges, KLE. So we're going to put that in a 24-month in a training program and, and roll that out. So we start to execute some of these tasks to get after what the end state is, which is essentially to have people who are well-educated in not, not only the, the US Army's approach to war fighting and the provision of operational law, but other nations who are just as adept at uh, providing that advice to the chain of command. So at the end of our podcast, we'd like to have our guests make book or media recommendations so they can be books, movies, or podcasts that you feel that people should read for professional development or just because they're really good. Do you have any recommendations for us? So firstly, um, and this is absolutely not a plant, but I, I think the podcasts that, that, that you guys do are really, really good and they're varied and they're interesting and they touch on stuff that's relevant to us. So that would be my first start point. In, in terms of the stuff that I have read that I've that have had a significant impact on me, there's a few books. One is a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And it's an absolutely phenomenal book, but essentially it talks about um, cognitive bias and the mistakes, the sort of miscircuitry, if you like, in the way that our brain operates that sometimes leads the person to make incoherent and illogical um, decisions. And so it's good to understand how the mind works because you're advising human beings. And, and if you know how human beings think and the mistakes that they might be making in terms of the way that they are uh, approaching a particular issue, then you can head off for that and, and, and be focused on that when you're providing them advice. So that's a, that's a really good book. Um, secondly, in terms of a book that has helped me to think about how I live my life more generally, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson, I think is a, a fantastic start point if you can do the basic, basic things right of focusing on the things that you need to address in your own life before you start to try and have an impact on the world. I think that that's uh, a really good, and it also feeds into leadership because, of course, in order to be a good leader, you need to be self-aware and you need to know where your faults are and where your strengths are, and you need to be open about those so that when you're leading people, your leadership is authentic and they can trust you because trust is the currency of cooperation. And so if you, if you build up that trust with your subordinates, hopefully you'll be a better leader. Um, so that's a great book. A book which really resonated with me was General Mattis. So I think General Mattis is an absolute legend. He should be, um, you know, given stars in Hollywood. He should be given uh, like the biggest, highest honors that this country can bestow. What a legend! Call Sign Chaos, great book as a as a tactical level read in terms of how you need to be better in the field, a, a good leader. You cannot read a better book. It's the best um, uh, autobiography of a military leader I have ever read brilliant book. The uh, slightly more academic book on utility of force, which is written by a, a British Army general, General Rupert Smith, The Utility of Force, is a almost a modern-day Clausewitzian book on how you should use force and about statecraft. And so sort of the strategic level, thinking about when you should use force, how you should use force, 
that's a really good read and a pretty readable book. And finally, in terms of the books, The Gates of Fire, written by Stephen Pressfield, which is about the Battle of Thermopylae and the Spartans. And again, that's about that for me, that's about leadership. How, di how did um, King Leonardus persuade several thousand men to die in a fight that they knew that they weren't going to win against an overwhelming adversary over the course of three days? And even when, at the end of day two, he let people go, um, non-Spartans go home, even then, several hundred people stayed to, to fight to the death. And I don't, I've never been in that situation, I can only imagine, but it, just the, the, the pure leadership that that would have taken just blows me away. And so I think that's the reason why this story has resonated down through the centuries. It's a, it's a, one, it's a great story, um, and it's, a, it's the supreme way of how to lead people in uh, very, 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 very challenging, difficult situations. So that's a great book. And finally, I just want to add a YouTube video to the list of those books. There is a SEAL, I think Admiral William Craven, who gave a graduation speech at the University of Texas at Austin. It's a brilliant, brilliant speech, and I would wholeheartedly um, advocate listening to that because it's, uh, it's inspiring. I listen to it every, every year or so, and it's fantastic. So those are my recommendations for what they're worth. Thank you for joining us today with the podcast, sir. Appreciate your time. That's been brilliant. That's it for the episode. For more information related to FCD, you can follow us on Twitter at JagFCD or by visiting our webpage. Finally, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. While this is a podcast created by U.S. Army Judge Advocates from the Future Concepts Directorate, our goal is to reach other judge advocates and lawyers across the DOD, law students, and members of academia. Your reviews help make this possible.